podcast. Tell your mama. <laughs> Are you familiar with the term glory story? Basically, it's a story you tell to give God glory for how he is working and moving in or through your life. At Vagabond Missions, we make it a point to tell glory stories often. We tell them to our friends and families, our fellow missionaries, to our mission partners, basically to anyone who will listen. We do this for many different reasons. First and foremost, we do it to give God the glory he is due. We also do it to remind ourselves of God's goodness and faithfulness when times seem rough. I personally love telling and hearing glory stories because for me, it's cementing in my heart and in my brain that God is truly working in me and through me. So often something incredible will happen either in ministry or just life in general. And the enemy will try to swoop in and make us believe that either it didn't happen or it wasn't that incredible. Sharing a glory story combats the attempt of the devil to diminish what God is doing in our lives. Today, our guest is Andy Sheree. Andy is an OG veteran of Vagabond Missions and currently is the area director in Wichita, Kansas, overseeing the day-to-day ministry happening in both of our Wichita locations. Andy will be sharing a glory story of a teen he discipled. This teen is now a missionary serving his community in Wichita. To God be the glory. Take a listen. So yeah, I had started going to lunch at the high school um, twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, we had permission from the school to go in and, and meet kids and tell them about the underground, which is our youth center that we run. Um, and I would just go in, they had an hour long lunch. Um, it's the second biggest high school in Kansas where we are in Wichita. And um, I would just go in and meet kids, you know, um, just go in and, and just get a few names, just say what's up to a few kids. Um, and it was only the second semester we had been there. Um, and that's that's when I met. It was it was probably gosh, it's probably January, February of of, of 2017 when I met um, these three cousins, Zeke, Tomas, and Silvestre, um, at North High School. Uh, the neighborhood we're in is about that. That high school um, has about 2,400 kids there, and it's about 75% Hispanic and within that Hispanic population it's you know high high majority Mexican um so it's a really awesome place as far as you know where we wanted to do ministry because we really wanted to reach out and serve and focus on serving to the Hispanic youth in that population um we had met with the pastor of that that parish in that neighborhood and he had explained you know that they'll confirm like over 100 kids a year but they'll never see any of these kids at mass and that there's a lot of cultural familiarity with catholicism but there's not a lot of like um practicing it or following through or people that 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 are really engaged in their faith and and knowing the lord so um that's what we did that's one one thing we did to meet a lot of kids is obviously we would go into the high schools um and yeah that january or february i met um zeke tomas and silvestre um Zeke was actually said that he rapped. And so I was rapping with him in, in the hallways at North um, and just told him like, Hey, we have this youth center called the underground. Come by, check it out. 
um, they came like, I think they came one day, like, uh, Zeke did, um, first he came first. And then a week later, you know, he brought his cousins, uh, Tomas and Sylvester back. Um, and each of them have like a really kind of unique story. Um, Zeke, you know, is a single, you know, raised by a single mom. Um, Tomas, his dad was in trouble and, and was deported, you know, back to Mexico and raised by a single mom for a long time. Um, Silvestre as well, raised by a single mom. Um, Silvestre was really involved um, in in gangs. Like, he was really um, active, um, like, documented gang member um, in the neighborhood and had been in and out of uh, JDF or juvenile. Um, and that's really what, like, kind of got our, our relationship going even further was one day Silvestre just came in after school um, and was just beside himself and he was just kind of crying and just kind of broke down and opened up about, you know, um, just how hard his life was. He had just gotten expelled for fighting. Um, and he said, you know, he was already on probation and he was worried about going back to JDF. And, um, he just opened up about how hard it was kind of growing up, um, in poverty, um, how him and his brother, you know, lived alone in an apartment when they were 10 and 11 on the South side. And, the Sedenos were the ones who would, you know, give him food and, and give him money. And so, you know, he got involved like in the gang life, like really young. Um, he talked about how his older brother is locked up in Texas, um, for the next 15 years. And he shared a lot about his life with us that day. Um, and that's when we just really, he felt comfortable opening up to us and we just invited him to keep coming back. Um, and so him and Zeke and Tomas, started getting involved at the underground, started getting involved with, with Vagabond. Um, I started doing like a lunch group with them once a week. We would eat just really cheap little Caesar's pizza. Um, and just talk about our life. Um, and that's, that's when we started talking about prayer. We started talking about having a relationship with Christ. We started talking about following Christ and what that looked like. Um, and it was just so cool again to see these three cousins, um, United, you know, all like connected by blood, but they all kind of had different responses in a way. Um, but Silvestre just, you know, was so talkative and he wanted to know so much. And he, he had so many good questions and he had such a heart, um, you know, and you could tell when he was praying, he really, you know, wanted to, to be reaching out to God. Um, Tomas was, was quieter and Zeke as well had a lot of questions, but they all like gained interest. Actually, there was a, another cousin, Manuel, who who would come too. Um, but through the course of that, like Thursday or Wednesday, whenever we did this little guys group lunch group that we had, um, they just started asking questions. They just started learning more about their faith. You know, um, these were, these were kids who, uh, Zeke had never been baptized. Tomas and Sylvester had been baptized when they were younger, but that, and received first communion, but that was it. Um, they didn't really have a practice of going to mass with their families there with their moms. Um, I actually remember one day. Um, I said something about being Jesus being raised from the dead, you know, that Jesus died on the cross, um, on good Friday and that, uh, you know, he resurrected on Sunday and that's when we celebrate Easter. And one of them just turned to me and said, wait a minute, Jesus rose from the dead. And I was just kind of shocked. Like I thought, like, doesn't everybody know that? Right. Um, and I was like, yeah, and I got to explain, you know, basically just lay, lay out the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins and, and rose from the dead. Um, 
And and through that group, through that study group, you know, they, they got a lot more comfortable with the underground. They started coming to our youth group nights that we call Breakout. They started coming to Bible study. Um, they started coming to Mass on Sundays. Uh, they came on retreats. You know, we did a tech retreat. We did the Steubenville retreat. And we had these kids from this, you know, Mexican neighborhood on the north side of Wichita who, you know, really had never encountered Eucharistic adoration. They'd never encountered praise and worship. They never encountered someone, uh, somebody or a missionary who could explain scripture to them. And to see the Lord, you know, really transform them, what was just an amazing experience. Um, and yeah, for those next two years, we really just tried to walk alongside of them and, and mentor them and, and minister to them. Um, gosh, that's when it would have been, I guess, um, of 2019, Zeke ended up getting baptized and receiving First Communion and getting confirmed. And Tomas um, ended up getting confirmed. Uh, and that was just a really beautiful Easter vigil because these two cousins, uh, Zeke and Tomas, just really decided like that that they needed the Lord. They decided that they needed to respond to His His love and that they wanted to follow Him. Um, and Silvestre, you know, never really took that step. Silvestre was, uh, came around a lot still and was still involved. Um, one time, uh, Silvestre actually just, uh, only, gosh, about a year ago, came on a retreat with us. And, um, you know, this, it was in November. And I think he was, I just, the last time I'd seen him was in the hospital. He had gotten shot. So I went to go visit him in the hospital, and that, that was kind of a cool story. Is uh, you know, we're in the hospital, he's laid up in bed, and he's like showing me where the bullets, like in his armpit, and uh, and you know, he's kind of trying to hold back the tears. All his homies are in there, all his cousins, you know, some of the guys I've gotten to meet over over the years, um, and some I didn't know. And it was really beautiful though, just showing like Sylvester's heart. Uh, like he was like, Andy, would you read? Um, oh, I brought him a Bible, um, and he was like, hey, would you read Psalm 91? And so we read Psalm 91, and it was like, you know, uh, blessed is he who takes refuge in the Lord, for he will be his, you know, safeguard and his shelter. Um, the angels will protect you unless, unless you dash your foot against the stone, you know, and um, thousands would fall at your right and your left, but you will not be harmed, you know. Um, and it was just such a moving, that was such a cool experience to read that, that Psalm with Sylvester in the hospital room. Um, and then actually I asked Tomas to like, I was like, Tomas, would you, would you say a prayer for us? And I made him say it in Spanish just for fun. But, um, and he was like, yeah, of course. And he, and he just, you know, this is after he'd come into the church, but he just like immediately in a room full of all these, all Sylvester's homies, all these kind of tough guys, you know, none of, you know, they all, know the sign of the cross they all know the concept of god but none of them who are actually you know following the lord tomas just just stood up and, and said this awesome prayer and led the whole room in a prayer in sylvester's room um and that was really really cool and that was like the one of the first things i saw of tomas where i thought man you know what tomas would would make a great leader like tomas um would really make a great missionary um and we started uh just kind of planting that idea in his head just said yo what would you what would you think about being a missionary man would you would you want to work for vagabond would you want to um you know 
help kids know about God and help help share the love of Jesus with, with kids in this neighborhood. And he was like, oh my gosh, absolutely. So I think, yeah, it was like that November of 2019, he applied to start in the summer of 2020. Um, and that whole year, we just kept meeting and kept reading more scripture and kept praying together. And, and um, I would just try to, you know, keep pouring into him. And um, and he just grew so much on his own, Tomas did, and, and just decided that, yeah, like, I do feel like God is calling me to be a missionary. Um, and so now Tomas is a missionary here on the north side of Wichita. Um, and he's just doing so much great stuff. Um, he, it's just so cool because he speaks Spanish. He's from the city. He's the first teen um, in all of Vagabond to become a missionary after being, you know, ministered to himself. So it's just a really great glory story of, of, of the Lord raising up like an indigenous leader. Um, somebody who, who knows the culture, knows the language, knows the, 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 um, you know, ins and outs of the neighborhood. Um, and so to watch the Lord use him in ministry has been really awesome. You know, he's now ministering to Zeke's little sister and his own little sister and Sylvester's little brother, you know, all of them come to the underground now, which is so cool that we're seeing like kind of almost another generation of kids, you know, um, come through now and, and be ministered to by someone who, just a few years back was in their shoes. So um, that's the story of uh, Zeke, Tomas, and Sylvester. Did you, uh, you know, being that you're not Mexican and, um, you know, not not even originally from there, like, was it, uh, were you ever intimidated just feeling, you know, like... like Yeah, honestly, yes, man. Um, I would say, you know, having done, like, you know, yeah, I'm not from Wichita. I'm from Virginia originally, but we did Vagabond in, in Brooklyn, New York for three years. And in Brooklyn, I don't know if it's because New York, everyone's louder, everyone's more outgoing, but it seems like, you know, we, we worked with all type of, all types of kids there, all different ethnic racial backgrounds. Um, but stepping into like a community, um, like in Wichita, where you're stepping into like such a densely homogenous, you know, densely populated Hispanic community. Um, the street we lived on for four years, you know, we were the only like white people on that street. Um, and it was all Mexican. And and I don't say that like, oh, all Hispanic. I mean, like literally all Mexican. But like, it, it was intimidating because you don't, I, I never felt more like an outsider in my life, which was good, you know, for like a white, you know, upper middle class kid. You know, I've never really had to feel like that before in my life. So, it is kind of like just humbling, but like really beautiful to try to be a student of the culture for, for those four years here in Wichita of, of just um, trying to learn Spanish um, and then just taking the time to get to know people. But what I realized was, and what, what I think made it a little more intimidating was um, <clears throat> it's a very close, and I'm going to try to say this, you know, without, I don't know, getting the wording wrong. So I hope it doesn't sound offensive to anybody. Um, but it's a very tight knit community, you know, it's a, it's a very, um, there's a lot more structure 
I don't want to say a lot more, but there is a lot of structure within the Hispanic community, I think, in America here. Because there's the, the family units are, even though there are broken homes, um, or if there are broken homes, there's still like a lot of extended family. There's a lot of culture intact, the language is intact, the you know, food, the celebrations, the quinceaneras or first communion parties or whatever. Like, there's a lot of, of that intact. So even though they're working sometimes like in, you know, with, with some of the same struggles that maybe other, you know, urban communities have, there's still a lot of the culture intact. And so um, it's not as familiar for them, for example, for someone to come up and say, hey, we have this like church youth center. Do you want to come to this outreach event? Do you want to come to this youth group night? You know, they're kind of like, huh? Like, what is that? Like, who are you? Don't talk to me. I don't know you. You know, it's, it's just, it's very... At least, again, not that, that it's not offensive. That's just kind of as an outsider. Um, what it felt like. So it took a lot more time and a lot more patience and a lot more humility to try to really enter into that community um, and to really um, get to know folks. And as soon as, you know, I, and, I, and I'm saying that the patience and the time, I mean, that took with the teens, right? The, with the teenagers and the students we were meeting at the high school. Uh, it just, you know, some of the kids from the black community, for example, it was a lot, they were a lot more, it was a lot more familiar to them. You know, this concept of going to like a church event or a youth group or getting in a van and going to this youth night. Um, there may be other ministries or other churches that were doing that in their neighborhoods. Whereas in this Mexican neighborhood, like that just wasn't, the only other people around are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, you know. Um, so with the teens, it took a lot of time, like just the familiarity you know being located we're right across the street from the high school um so it took a lot of time just tilling that soil and planting seeds and hey um this is a place for you to come hang out this is a place for you to do homework a place for you to come come to a bible study if you want to or or just come like play xbox or whatever um it took a lot of getting used to for them as far as you know where we lived the people were so welcoming i mean our neighbors were so welcoming they, they absolutely loved us and um, you know, we developed really good relationships with our neighbors there. And that is a wrap. We thank you so much for listening to this episode of Vagabond Missions Podcast. Special thanks to the OG himself, Andy Sheree. And as always, a big thank you to our producer, Dan Bozak from Aardvark Productions. My name is Mark Piero, and it's been a pleasure to be your host. To learn more about Vagabond Missions or to join us on this adventure, please check us out at vagabondmissions.com. Peace.